Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Brendan Rembe of InvestNet. InvestNet is probably a very familiar name for those of you in the advisor fintech space in that they were the largest players in the space and one of the most recognizable names with a very diverse portfolio of tools and integrations. And with that, here's my interview with Brendan. Hello, Brandon. How are you doing? Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time. So Brandon Rembe, Chief Product Officer at InvestNet. Tell us about InvestNet. Sure. InvestNet is a large wealth tech and fintech ecosystem. We've been around for over 20 years, over $4 trillion on the platform today. We cover everything from large uh, broker dealers and financial institutions and, and some of the largest banks in the country to small startup fintechs servicing kind of that entire ecosystem for kind of every dollar coming into an account, every dollar leaving an account, trying to make people's financial lives better throughout that entire life cycle. Excellent. And yeah, so I mean, your company's a name that is not going to be a surprise to most people, quite honestly, if you're, especially if you're in the US, um, you know, you're living under a rock in the financial services industry, if you haven't heard of InvestNet. So in fact, uh, funnily enough, when we first had our conversation, my first question was, it like working at the 800 pound gorilla? And you very quickly corrected me. We might be the 800 pound gorilla, but we still see ourselves as the nimble startup and, and, and innovative. And I don't think anyone would ever take away the innovation stamp from what it is you guys work on. So it has been, uh, and we continue to be very innovative. It's been an acquisitive company all the way through. We've acquired a lot of startups as we've grown. I came from, from one of those startups, but it is a lot of those founders are still with us and they're still with the organization because we are still innovating and we continue to innovate and we, we continue to push the boundaries. So while some people see us as the leaders in the industry, we always think of ourselves as just beginning. So yes, uh, acquisitions. Um, yeah, that's putting it lightly. <laughs> I mean, I lost track of some of them. So you know, let's go back to InvestNet now. So let's talk about the history of InvestNet and your history with them in particular. So tell me about you. Tell me how you came to work with the uh, with the company and your role there in particular. Yeah, sure. I started with a company called Tamarack uh, about 19 years ago. Now I was employee number two at Tamarack and was their chief technology officer and head of product there for about 15 years. So Tamarack focused on the RIA segment of the industry. We grew that business to, I think it's over a trillion and a half dollars now on that particular platform, serving some of the largest RIAs in the country. And that was acquired by InvestNet about eight years ago now, almost nine years ago now. And that, as part of that, we still ran that organization as a bit of a separate PL for a number of years. And so it was with Tamarack for about 15 years and then transferred over to run product and strategy for another acquisition that we did called Yodely, which is the country's largest data aggregator servicing some 40 million plus retail consumers, helping aggregate their data, verify accounts, facilitate payments in that space and did that for a number of years. And then recently, about eight months ago, became the chief product officer at InvestNet. Excellent. Yeah, and Yodely is a name that's also very familiar to many people in the tech space because you guys are like the granddaddy of data aggregation, really. You're like the first major behemoth in that space, that's for sure. Yeah, as a longtime Mint.com user, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny. It's uh, Tamarack, InvestNet, uh, Yodely all started within about 12 months of each other, a little over 20 years ago, and then have all, all found their way together. And so a lot of the uh, the founders and a lot of the people that are still at those organizations, you know, still have that founder's mentality of, of trying to innovate, do what's best for the, the customer and, and, and bring those things together in a meaningful way, which now as we've worked hard to not only grow the business from the breadth of what we're doing, we're now really focused on integrating all of those different components. Because as people know, when you grow through acquisition, it can sometimes be difficult to make sure 
that the cultures are integrated, the technologies are integrated, it's much easier said than done. Uh, and that's really been a, our focus for the last several years is taking all of these great properties, Money Guy Pro more recently, and bringing them in to really service the customer end-to-end in, in much more of a seamless journey. I really think there's kind of two ways to look at this. Like, you know, there's, um, there's an ecosystem play in two different directions, right? There's an ecosystem play where you used to integrate a bunch of top line vendors and basically build a deep integration and, and make them work really together, or you just buy them like what you guys have done. And you really deeply integrate them as a preferred vendor and create something that is far more seamless and far more, let's just call it integrated than, than would have been if it had just been a bunch of APIs connecting. Yeah, absolutely. And so the way that we look at it is there's kind of core systems that we feel are important for us to have deeply connected or to own to some degree in those core portfolio accounting, core performance calculations, all of those things that can then service a much broader ecosystem. And while we, we certainly do a lot today, we are under no illusions that we can do everything in that the ecosystem requires. And so that's how we think about it. We, we see ourselves as an ecosystem provider. We're trying to provide these core technologies, but then really what we're focusing on is everything API driven, making sure that we are an open ecosystem and easy to plug into so that as clients want to create their own journeys, their best experiences, have their own proprietary tools or other third parties that they can plug and play any component of the investment ecosystem that they want to create their best experience for themselves and for their clients. And then we also have to play with other ecosystem providers, like a Salesforce, for example, is making sure that our ecosystem plugs into theirs. And so wherever the advisor or the investor is doing business, if they want to live in the CRM, they can live in the CRM. If they're outside of the CRM and want to do core rebalancing and trading, they can come to our platforms or another third party. And we're really just the glue behind all of those, making sure that data flows seamlessly and those journeys are, are seamless for the advisor and the investor. Now, I want to come back to kind of like the evolution of it and where you guys are headed. And this happens to be this helpful little document that uh, your CEO, Bill Craig, created called the Intelligent Financial Life, which kind of documents this and spells it out. And, you know, originally Investnet started off, you know, you, you were a TAMP providing turnkey asset management platform solutions and for different uh, with, with technology embedded into it. And then you've evolved clearly into an integrated wealth platform through all these acquisitions and all these things you do that integrate. And what you're really talking about now is the, in a document is titled the, the Intelligent Financial Life. And you're talking about creating a personal financial ecosystem. So talk to me about what that means and what that next step of the evolution basically is all about. Yeah, so it really is creating that as, as much as it is an intelligent connected or intelligent financial life, it also has to be a connected financial life, right? So to apply any intelligence to this stuff, you have to have the right data. So we're really broadening the sense of what someone's financial life consists of. Typically, when someone, an individual or an advisor is looking at someone's financial life, it is one component of it. They're looking at just their investments, but they're not looking at their insurance. The you know insurance broker is looking at their insurance, but they're not looking at their healthcare. None of those people are looking at what, do you have a credit card balance due? All of those things, and it is incredibly complex. And if you look at a lot of the fintech players that are out there now, a lot of them are focused on these very kind of specific individual touch points for a client of, I need to do something with my bank or help me find my best credit card, help me buy my next stock. But they're not taking a step back and looking at it and saying, how do all of these things come together to create this intelligent financial life for Brandon or for Jason? Because our Financial lives are probably very different from one another or different from someone else down the street. And I need to understand the complete ecosystem that is Brandon or Jason to make the right advice or to make the right recommendations or provide the right insights to that individual. To give you an example of that, you know, you go into any investing platform 
and what they're going to do is tell you to invest on their platform. Is that, the, is that the right thing to do always? Should I be investing in that account or should I be paying down my credit card debt, which is charging me 20% annually? Should I be paying down my credit card debt? And if I've done that, then should I invest? Well, does my company offer a 401k and do they do matching for that? Because I don't know anywhere else where I get an automatic 100% return on my investment like you do for 401ks. So understanding that complete financial picture for someone as opposed to looking at their financial life in individual chunks is really what we're trying to do. And then once we have all that data, we can be very prescriptive about the insights, the advice that can be given to an individual once we understand their, their holistic financial life. It's interesting because there's there's really two key points to this, right? I mean, what you're kind of describing is, you know, we'll call it an evolution of almost family office level service, right? It's, you know, if, if you were lucky enough to be a multi-billionaire, you have your own staff handling all these things in one integrated solution that are independent because they're basically advising you solely. And those types of services have been slowly trickling down to the mass market through advisors like myself and others who've really tried to provide very broad, comprehensive, but interconnected services. It's a massive frustration to me to not have the right tools connecting all these things in, in the right place to action, the right decisions like you have. And there's certain things I just I just don't have access to, which, which makes it more difficult. So everything you talk about is just stuff that excites me. But the second level of that goes back to the data point you made a minute ago, which is you guys get to play with a lot of data, right? Like Yodely alone, I can't, is, is probably like the mother load of data. And the ability to basically take that and, and understand consumers and like consumers. We talked in our preliminary call about how you guys have harvested that and created profiles. Can you care to speak to both what you've done there and, and the scope and the, and the differentiation amongst those profiles? Yeah, so we do have a lot of data and it's what powers a lot of our insights, a lot of our new products that we have coming out because it's helpful to understand kind of first and second level derivatives of, of what people are doing. So typically legacy PFM applications, personal financial management applications, we're really good at telling you what happened in the past and what's happening in your accounts right now. Then they kind of went a little bit into the future and said, hey, well, you have a, did you know you have a credit card bill coming up that's due? Great, that, that, that's good to know. Well, it'd be also be good to know if, am I gonna have enough cash <laughs> to pay that off? And then which account should I pay that from? Or if I have to sell a security, what securities should I sell to pay off an upcoming real estate tax that I have coming up? Or if you're looking at the higher net worth capital call, if you go down market, am I going to be able to pay off my monthly car bill that I have? So being able to take that data and be prescriptive about what's happening in your account, what will happen in your account, and then what you should do to take action on it. And that's where we're able to finally get to is not only know what's happening now, we know what's going to happen in the future, and we can give you advice on how to best handle those events coming up in the future. On top of that, because millennials not only really like knowing what's going on with them, they like they want to know what everybody else is doing. That That's the big thing. Well, tell me how I compare to everybody else. We've been able to create over 50,000 individual cohorts with more than 10,000 people in them. So I can say, I know how I'm doing in my financial life and how much I'm I'm spending on groceries every month. But tell me some what do other people that live in Seattle that have the same income as Brandon, how much are they spending on groceries every month and how do I compare against them? Because I want to know if I'm spending too much, too little, what is everybody else doing? Am I saving a certain percentage of my salary more or less than my peer group? So that has really helped us not only frame what people are doing in their own financial lives, but allowing them to compare them to other cohorts 
and then a kind of best of breed cohort, which is, hey, if you want to be able to retire on time and if you want to hit your financial goals, here's the things that you need to do. You should spend less on entertainment. You should save more. Uh, you should match your 401k. These are all the things that can help you hit those financial goals, which is different than, you know, a lot of times you hear about gamification in investments. And there's been a lot of noise in the press lately about gamifying investment and savings. And it's great that, that has opened the market to a lot of individuals that probably haven't been in there. But that type of gamification without education and advice can be really problematic. And so we're, we're trying to go one level beyond engagement to make sure that we're not just saying it's not enough just to be engaged. You have to be engaged intelligently. Yeah, I am for one, am not a fan of pushing people open margin accounts by default, then teach them how to open up an options account and then tell them how to YOLO options. That to me, you know, again, you can call yourself an investing app all you want. You are nothing but a gambling app. No, and it's and it's and you've probably read some of these stories lately that are coming out now that it's tax time here that all of these investors are going out and no one ever knew what a wash sale rule is. And if you talk to probably 95% of the people that walk down the street, no one knows what a wash sale is. And now they're finding out that <laughs> they definitely know what a wash sale is because they're owing the IRS 10X what they actually made on their investments. So it's- but For the it's, record, ironically, that story, which first broke, basically that actually came from one of the members of one of my forums, who's a cross-border cross forum. So I heard that story right from the source. And actually, one of my Canadian counterparts actually wrote the first story on that for Morningstar. <laughs> so uh, very familiar with that one. That one was both equal parts hilarious and tragic at the same time. You no, know, it, it is. And it, and it highlights some of these issues. You know, if someone came to you and said, hey, I've got a, an app that's going to gamify your taxes, you go, I don't think I want to, uh, I don't think I, I want to, I don't want to gamify my taxes. Well, it's such it's a great same, point though. That's such yes. a great point because what they're not realizing is the number of aspects of what they actually are gamifying in their lives. Like you want to gamify your retirement? I don't want to gamify my retirement. No, right? no, you, you shouldn't. These are things that have real consequences that people don't always consider. And that's really what we're trying to fix is we want to build that engagement. We want people to feel like they have control over their financial lives. They understand their financial lives and really go for those longer term outcomes that make people feel good about their money. And if you read every survey that's out there, worries about money are number one or number two on the list constantly. And so anything we can do to take the anxiety off of that, make people feel like they understand and control their financial lives, that they're educated about their financial lives and that it is an intelligent financial life that they're building. We think that has a lot of social good beyond just helping people retire and have more money. It really expands and, and helps their the other aspects of their lives as well. Totally agree with you that on so many levels. And in particular, I mean, how many studies have come out that says that a brain under stress is just not as intelligent? Like your IQ drops when you're under stress. So part of the argument about how certain cohorts uh, who are in financial difficulty end up behind even further is because if you're living constantly under financial stress, you're operating at a suboptimal intelligence, fortunately. So it makes you make poor decisions. It does at Absolutely. the end of the day. When you're stressed already and then the stock market starts to dip, your first reaction is, oh my God, sell, sell, sell. I can't deal with this yeah. anymore. A low buy high type of cycle yeah. that people find themselves in. No, I'm actually focused on these longer term goals. And also empowering the advisor to have those conversations with people to walk them off the ledge. But more importantly, if you give them the information at the right time in the right way, they don't have to be walked off the ledge. And that's no. where we need to get to. 
I agree with you totally. And I'd say it goes even further. I mean, there's all kinds of studies that are shown like things like correlations between uh, the, the purchase of lottery tickets and income, right? Lower income tends to purchase more lottery tickets. And it's just like, Hey, if, if things are, you know, if things are not great, maybe I'm looking for that, that miracle. It's going to save me when the math tells you you shouldn't. So <laughs> no, and I, actually it's funny you say lottery. Cause I, I read an article sometime this week that said there's something like seven over 70% of lottery winners, no matter how much money they make in the lottery, lose all of that money. All that money is gone within five years, no matter how much money they've made off of it. And again, when you give someone a lot of money or they have a windfall, they have those things, but aren't educated on what to do with it. You know, worse if you try to gamify <laughs> what you should do with it, these things all can can cause negative outcomes for people. But if you empower people to with knowledge and understanding and tools that show them the longer term outcomes that they're coming, that they're really shooting for in life and what'll take the stress off of their financial life, those things are really beneficial. So 50,000 profiles. Okay. Tell me about how you determine which profile I belong to, for example, like what's the, what's the filtering mechanism there? So I'm going to give a lot of credit to our data science group, who's a lot smarter than I am, on how they go and slice and dice all of these different cohorts and create these, what we call cohorts, internally to make sure that, one, they're statistically significant, that they can represent, you know, we have good income, insights into income, into spending. A lot of the the data that we get into our system is messy. If you look at financial transactions overall, none of it is, most of it's not human readable. You look at it and you see, hey, I have a credit card transaction that's XXX2342 TRGT. No one knows what that is, but you throw that against data science and you realize, hey, I spent $23 at Target. Great. Well, how much did I spend at Target overall last month? How much did I spend over the last year? On average, how much are people spending at Target around where I live? Those types of things are meaningful but it's also more meaningful when you're trying to create budgets as an individual. You know, a lot of people have a hard time. If I asked you, how much do you spend at Amazon every month? Very few people would know that because one, they don't keep track of how much they're spending at Amazon and they return about half the stuff that they buy on Amazon. So net net, no one really understands. They also need to keep into account. I was going to say, you're asking the wrong guy. Okay. I'll pull up that data in a minute. All right. Just let me open my app. But in general, you're absolutely, you know, as a financial planner and every financial planner will attest to this, the most painful aspect of, of what a client gets asked for is where's your money going? Right. And then even if you get the data on where your money's going, it's like, okay, you went to Costco. How much of this was groceries versus buying a shed? I don't know. Right. It gets to levels of, you know, what's a recurring expense. And, uh-huh. and you think about how much you're spending at Amazon, being able to figure out, okay, is this a recurring Amazon expense, like your prime membership, or is it not? Is those types of things we spend a lot of time and effort on, not only normalizing retail transactions to help people create budgets, understanding where they're overspending, underspending. Even if you ask people what their net income is, they have a hard time understanding that. I don't know how much I'm putting in my 401k. I don't know how yeah. much setting aside for XYZ. And so those type of simple questions, very few people have the right answers to those. So again, building up from just the base level of education that we're trying to provide people. And you mentioned before, these types of services that typically only uh, very wealthy individuals had, we're really trying to democratize that across the entire financial services base. So when you think about kind of some more of the, the very high-end services that people don't need, trust and estate planning we have tools for that. And, and if you need those services, we have we just launched our new trust exchange as well, where people can come in and get access to trust services. But as you go down market and people need advice, but 
don't know where to go for advice or uh, can afford advice, we're really bringing some of those things down market so that people do understand how much they're saving, how much they're spending, if they should be uh, saving more, where should those savings go? If they need to pull money out of an account, where should they pull that money out of? Just basic things that block, basic blocking and tackling that a lot of people don't have control over in their financial lives today. So with that, I mean, you're, you're trying to nudge them in the right direction is what it comes down to. And there's any number of variables that in the situations you just talked about, like where to draw money from. I'm sure you have to you know, run the tax consequences of that and as well as well be aware of what else is coming down the pipe for them. So how many data scientists do you guys have? Is this you're talking about a lot of heavy lifting in my mind. We do. And it's something we focus on. So we applied data science and data science is not the panacea for everything. If AI, ML are definitely buzzwords that are in the industry today, and they Uh definitely serve their purpose in terms of how we cleanse, enrich, normalize, analyze all of the data that we have coming in. It's extremely important. But what we have always found is that when you take any technology, whether that's machine learning, whether that's a new cool app that's out there, you have to pair that with a human to get the best outcome. So machinery plus humans always equals the best outcome. And we make sure that we everything that we're doing has a human component to it, whether it's how we're nudging people, why we're nudging people. You also always want to avoid, if you apply just machine learning algorithms to everything, because they're made by humans, they have biases into them. And so uh-huh. you need to make sure that you're evaluating those biases and taking a hard look at any recommendation that you're, you're that's coming out. So everything that we do from a core data science perspective or technology perspective, we also have just a set of people looking at it from a person's perspective and say, hey, does this make sense to me as an individual that's using the outcome of this insight that's using this technology, how do I personalize it to make it human compatible? That's extremely important in what we do. Then it's also extremely important in how advice is provided. You know, it was a couple of years ago, every advisor was talking about, oh God, robo advisors are going to take over everything and we're going to be out of business. If your value is pointing to a fund and saying, buy that, you're right. You're out of business. At least you should be. But let's move beyond that. Yeah. But now when you look at it, we like to empower what we call the cyborg advisor because I want to be able to interact with the machine when I want to. I want to be able to act and interact with the human when I want to. When you put the best of those two worlds together, it's great. I don't want to have to always call my advisor to schedule an appointment and talk to their assistant. Why can't I do that online? Do you really have to email me a or you know, snail mail me a quarterly performance report that kills 10 trees every time you send me these 200 pages? Give me a portal uh-huh. online where I can see my data not once a quarter, but every single day. But then when I have a life event that is coming up, hey, I want to get you on the phone right away and talk about what I need to do to provide the best outcome for me. So that type of seamless handoff between the human and the machine is incredibly important for us. That's interesting. There's kind of two dichotomies to discuss here. One is the, when I've seen artificial intelligence powered financial planning tools and inevitably a large chunk of the audience, when they see these things, it's like, well, I guess the client doesn't need me then. And they're like terrified their job is gone. And my response is pretty sure that A, there's only a certain type of person's ever going to take a full machine's output and take it to heart without actually understanding what it is the machine came to and why it works. So it's not going to replace the human advisor's ability to explain what the outcome is and why that makes sense. But also the reality is, is that you can't capture a human being like in code, at least not at this stage, right? And it's like all the all the quirky nuances and differences of human beings, we are better at doing that than a machine, than the computers will be, but they're better at crunching the numbers than we are. So it's one of these things, that, the cyborg aspect you said. Now, the other point about that, kind of the self-serve digital aspects you mentioned a minute ago, that I find interesting is that I also find there's a challenge there, right? Because 
because information is so easily accessible, I feel sometimes that people expect an answer to be, oh, here's my situation. Give me an answer. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Like there is, you gave me this much. You didn't give me the full picture. I think one of the things that your platform does that I love is the encompassingness, the all-encompassing nature of what goes into this. We're not talking about investments or planning. We're talking about every aspect of their financial life. And if I have that kind of information at at my hands and a question comes up, the amount of things I can double check and make sure that what I'm telling them is correct is just substantially more. I'm I'm more reassured by it than than what I would be normally. No, and you hit on a a couple key points there is one, you should not provide advice if you don't have all the information. So step one is really working with the client. And sometimes you have to explain to the client, here's why I'm asking all of these questions because they do have, have real outcomes, you know, which is as we start to dip into more of the baby boomers and, and what their needs for healthcare and everything else, yeah, you, you might want to understand their health situation more to be able to answer a financial question. So understanding that complete picture for anybody is important. For, and not only that, but also the context of where it's coming from. It's very important to provide advice. And then when people go to talk to an advisor, they expect them to be the genius on everything, right? And an advisor is great and and they know a lot, but they're also not meant to be an expert on every single financial instrument that's out there or every possible financial outcome that you could ask for. And so that's where we've implemented our exchanges with InvestNet, with our our credit exchange, our trust exchange, our insurance exchange, and and soon to launch our, our healthcare exchange. All of those things, we need to empower the advisor with one, allowing them to collect all of this information about their client so that they can provide the right advice. And then if that right advice determines that they need to work with specialized products or specialized services like trusts or legal, anything else, they also have a network to pull in on and say, well, I don't have that answer for you, but I can reach out to three or four different trusted sources to make sure I give you the best answer for that. So it still puts the advisor as the quarterback, but gives them all of this information and data and then all these great partners to work with to provide that best outcome. So as much as we're trying to centralize, we're also decentralizing through this ecosystem to allow people to reach out and get the advice, not only from an investor standpoint, but from an advisor standpoint. Like I say to everyone, every time I interview someone from the U.S., I'm envious of your toys. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, what you've done there too with that aspect of, um, of that kind of networking tools that normally as a professional, I go out and I network with other professionals, find trusted sources and develop my own network. What you've done is you've inst- you basically productized that to some degree for the advisor, right? You you have a marketplace whereby they can, maybe they don't have a, someone for XYZ, but hey, now you can help them find it and, and you can help them basically leverage that relate that, that knowledge that they didn't have access to before. Fantastic. Absolutely. And then, and then it's not only giving, plugging them into that network, it's then facilitating that network as well. So making sure that when someone says, hey, I, I want to create an asset back loan. Well, how am I going to get that information to me? Well, let me just press this one button and now you have access to the information that you need, or we can already fill out most of that paperwork for you because we have that information. So we're always trying to go that next step to not only make it easy to find the right outcome, but then execute on it. And there's there's a big difference between knowing where to go and then how to get there is a lot of what we're doing. And in another component to that I'll mention is what we've seen recently is, you know, advisors have really focused on that end outcome of I want to retire at 65. I want to send my kids to these types of schools. I want to spend this much in retirement. But what's becoming more and more important in the next generations is the journey on how I got there is just as important as the destination. And I say that in the context of the types of investments that they're using to get there, 
ESG overlays, impact overlays? What is the social good that I am providing by the types of investments that I'm using to retire? So we're also doing a lot from within our portfolio group to create that type of journey that doesn't just say, well, I want to have this much money when I retire. It's also very important for advisors now to have the conversation of your client and to say, well, what's important to you in how you get to that outcome? Do you care about your carbon footprint? Do you care about taxes? Obviously you do. Do you care about your social, your, your, your social good that you're providing in there? And let me tailor a personalized portfolio to you that not only gets you the outcomes that you want, but also provides the right social good that you're, or the social impact that you're looking for in getting there. So the evolution of how did I do versus the S&P 500 is now changed to how am I on track for my goals? And now it's a combination of how am I doing for my goals, but also what good am I doing along the way as I get there? Yeah, I would fully agree with that. I mean, and I look at everything you're doing as, as helping fulfill the fullest, purest version of what the financial planning profession can be, which is one, someone who basically helps you get what you want out of life in multiple facets, everywhere that money touches and beyond that. And having those kinds of conversations about not just the, the targets, but also every step of the way and the methodology for getting there, that's how you're not a robo-advisor. Like it, that's, that's the answer right there. It's no robo-advisor is ever going to do that. And then anyone who's threatened by one is just not playing the right game. So I totally, totally get it. So, you know, that is, we've said, we've talked about a lot today. It's been great. <laughs> so let's talk about, this is where you are. This is what the current vision is. So like, what does the future hold? Like, what is it you guys are, are running towards? I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything we talked about, there's a ton of stuff you've done already. There's a ton of stuff you're refining to keep getting there. But what's next, if you can share that with us? Yeah, you know, it's it's really about making sure that we can fulfill on the fullest form of that ecosystem. So making sure that we can touch every aspect of someone's financial life. So I've talked about, you know, some of the new exchanges that we've coming out with the, the trust exchange. And we've also done, I rolled out some new software with Money Guide Pro and truly helping the estate planning. So if you go kind of up the wealth ladder we're putting in a lot of things around that. We're also going to be launching our healthcare exchange and we'll continue to bring out the healthcare or the, continue to build out the exchange ecosystem from a technology. And that's both on from a technology and, and services side of things. As you go down market, you know, with our recent acquisition of, of, of Harvest, we're really trying to help every retail uh, consumer out there start to create that intelligent financial life through micro savings, micro investing but with that intelligence component put on top of it. So there are fun aspects of gaming that really do nudge people the right way and allow that to happen. But we also want to make sure that we are providing them with the intelligence to create the right long-term outcomes for them. So whether that's helping them pay down their student loan, helping them just pay off their credit debt, making sure that they can save up for the car that they want, all the way to hitting that retirement at 65. And, and our really our goal is at the end of the day, it truly is for every dollar that's coming in to a person's life and every dollar that's exiting a person's life, we should be able to provide real-time, what we call hyper-personalized insights into what is going to be the best thing for Brandon? What is going to be the best thing for Jason? What is going to be the best thing for Sarah? Whoever is engaging with that, it should be personalized to them and it should be dynamic, meaning as their lives change, those insights change because as new events come up, as new data comes in, insights will need to change. And it goes back to the same thing, which is I need to understand the context. I need to understand the data to provide the right insights. So there's a lot that we're going to be doing. There's a lot we're going to be innovating on. The fun part about my job is that 
every day it's something new. There, there's a new challenge that that's out there. There's a new innovation that's coming out. Uh, there's a new competitor that might be doing something a little bit different. In my job and in the rest of investment's job is to make sure that we are at the forefront of empowering the advisor, empowering the investor to have that intelligent financial life. And, and you said it, provide the best uh, possible outcomes for, for what they want out of life. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody just to end on a positive note and make you think. So first one is, if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Ooh. I always stump people with that one. I would say cleaner data. Cleaner, <laughs> oh, cleaner, cleaner data would make oh. everybody's lives a lot easier. Oh, I laugh and I shake my head and my hands in my hands because yes, that is so true. And a, a, percent, a segment of my, my listenership is going to get that and be like, yes. And a segment's going to be like, really? That's the one thing you would change? Yes. Inner <laughs> data. Oh my God. Yes, please. So that's the first one. Good answer. Second question. What's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? Ooh, I think a big part of it is trying to help our clients understand the future. There's always a resistance to change in any industry. I think the financial industry is particularly burdened by regulation and fear of change. And so I think we could all innovate faster and provide better outcomes for our clients if we feared change a little bit less in our industry overall. And so I think when I look at it, and I remember when we first uh, started Tamarack, and everyone said, okay, send me the CD to install the program. And we said, no, 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 you access it online. They went, oh my God, I can't, I can't do that. There's just, there's no way to do that. The internet's too dangerous. I can't put my credit card information dangerous. in that, never. And then when we started to put our, our servers into AWS and they said, oh my God, you can't do that. That, you know, you, what are you sharing our, our servers with other people? And so it has been a challenge to help our clients see where the future is going. And I always throw out a, a Henry Ford quote, which says, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. And, and we often get asked for a faster horse when we're out here trying to build a Ferrari if we can. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a big problem, particularly in this industry. I think it's just, we're not at the financial issue is not a tech industry. Tech services finance, right? And I think unfortunately the people who look at the problem every day don't necessarily see the Ferrari vision. They want the faster horse. I also, I use that a lot. I also use the, uh, the Steve Jobs one about when they asked them if they should, you know, take surveys as to what people wanted in a phone. He's like, no, they don't know what they want in a phone yet. Let's just show them. Right. And it's, yeah. it's true. Like people, if you, if you, again, if you ask people what they want, it's always an iteration of what they currently have, not the thing that's going to revolutionize what it is that they're working on. So fantastic. And then the last question I have for you is what excites you and gets you out of bed every morning to keep on fighting the good fight doing what you're doing? Yeah, honestly, it's what I hear every day from my friends in the news. Everything is that we're one of the greatest countries in the world here in, in, in the US and Canada too. Um, but we're a first world country. There's a lot of people that are doing very well Yet money and finances are causing so much stress in people's lives, and it's still a number one worry across the U.S. and really throughout the world. And we're really at a point where that shouldn't be the case. There's no reason why it can't be the case. And giving people the right tools, the right education, the right insights, it's a problem that we can solve. And, and I think hopefully we can solve it uh, in my generation or the next. Well, you're definitely making it possible for a lot more people to make that get a lot closer to reality. So I thank you for that. Brendan, I thank you so much for the time you spent with me today. It's uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, big fan of all, I'm big fan and envious of all the stuff you guys get to play with. So appreciate it. Jason, thanks so much.
So that was my interview with Brendan Rembe of Investnet. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you found it informative and were inspired by some of the stuff that they're working on. Because frankly, I keep saying I'm incredibly envious. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever is your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.